And this is partly where we get our tradition of giving from at Christmas. Even people that don't believe in these stories, this is where we get the tradition from. But we're quite pious, actually, when it comes to giving and receiving of gifts. It's far better to give than receive. But when was the last time on Boxing Day that you went up to a kid and say, hey, what did you give for Christmas? We always say, what did you get? And when we receive the gifts that we receive from God, they come with a responsibility to return those gifts to the giver. I did say that we would be looking at the gifts uh, that the wise men brought again. Now, often people look at the gifts around Christmas time, and I understand that, and because and it's the time that we generally read the story. And probably what I'm going to share with you this morning or today, whenever you're listening to this, it may not be new information, but it's good to have a relook at it because often we can forget in our over familiarity with things. Over familiarity with things. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Partly because my face is so cold and numb. Anyway, I want to read you a very short part of the Bible. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11. This is what it says. When they saw the star, this is the wives, wise men, they were filled with great joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him and they gave him open their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we know all this. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is partly where we get our tradition of giving from at Christmas. It actually comes from these stories. Even people that don't believe in these stories, this is where we get the tradition from. But we're quite pious, actually, when it comes to giving and receiving of gifts, because we all say the right thing, that it's, it's far better to give than receive. And we play, pay lip service to that, and we're quite sanctimonious and pious about it. But when was the last time on Boxing Day that you went up to a kid and say, hey, what did you give for Christmas? We always say, what did you get? Because really, we always like to receive gifts, even though we might know that it's the right thing to say it's better to give than receive. Gifts, though, um, come with responsibility. A long, long time ago, about 20 years ago, we were filming a Bible study series and, and a man watched us filming this and he said, hey, listen, you can't do this poorly. You can't do it badly. I want to give you some money so that you can actually film this Bible study series well and do it, do it properly. He gave us over $250,000. Over the course of the next couple of years, he gave us around $400,000 to complete this project. When he wrote us that first check of a quarter of a million dollars, we thought, oh, stink. We've really got to do this well, because the gift came with some responsibility. Now, when we look at these gifts, we've got to remember that these are wise men, and they are packing these gifts in. Now, if you're going on a journey, if you're going to the wilderness, 
Uh, you've got to remember that you've got to carry everything. These guys are also going on a journey and they've got to move everything. If you're packing your car to go camping, it's very different if you're car camping than if you're backpacking camping. You pack differently. And these guys weren't car camping. They may have been camel camping, I don't know, uh, or donkey camping, um, or chariot camping. Who knows? But they had to pack the gifts in. So they had to choose carefully what they were going to take on this journey and they had to take age-appropriate gifts. Now we know this because in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Matthew, it says that they go to the king and say, where is the newborn, newborn king of the Jews? So they're not bringing this to somebody who's an adult king of the Jews. They're bringing these gifts to a newborn baby king of the Jews. So some of these gifts are probably going to be most used to the parents and as legacy gifts for the newborn later on. Also, as they're given these gifts, they're actually, actually making some prophetic statements in the gift giving. And that's what I want us to think about and look at. Because we can look at these gifts and say, okay, it's happened a long time ago. What's that got to do with us? When was the last time you went to a baby shower and somebody turned up with gold, frankincense and myrrh? Um, so it, it, it doesn't very happen very often. I can't even remember the last time I went to a baby shower. Honestly, it's not generally a guy thing to go to. Um, um, but, but like, when was the last time that you were at a baby shower and somebody turned up with gold, frankincense and myrrh and started to worship? I mean, it's just, it's just a different scenario that we live in now, right? So... They turn up with these three gifts. Now, the gold, we don't really have too much problem with that, and it makes pretty good sense. It's a symbol of God's provision to us, but it's more than that. It's so much more than that. Gold, in, especially in Old Testament times, um, and you've got to remember that the New Testament writers aren't writing the New Testament at this point they are still writing in the style of the Old Testament. So they're actually Old Testament writers. And they write like that, especially Matthew, because he's a good Jewish guy and he's writing for a Jewish audience and he writes in an Old Testament style. So when he mentions the gold, he understands that gold symbolizes royalty. It also symbolizes extreme wealth and also, it symbolizes worship of the highest possible order. Now, we see this way back uh, in Exodus chapter 25 and in 1 Kings chapter 6, when they're building the tabernacle and then the temple, and things are made with, are overlaid with pure, finest gold. Why? Because it symbolizes worship in the highest possible order that you can have. Pure gold, not, not impure gold, pure gold. And then you read in, read in Revelation chapter 21, streets of heaven are paved with pure gold. <laughs> now, we've been, we've been looking and watching people doing a lot of road <laughs> repairs recently. I'm not seeing anybody pour pure gold into any of the potholes that are on the bridges and the highways that have collapsed at the moment. They're doing it with tar 
and tar macadam and, and road-filling materials. <laughs> Maybe the road crews would be reacted a bit differently and dressed a bit differently if they were doing it with pure gold. Don't know how that would stand up under BC winter storms. But the streets of heaven paved with pure gold. Why? Because it's the highest place where God is. And gold symbolizes all that. And like I said at the beginning, it symbolizes the provision of God. A few verses later on in this nativity story, an angel appears and it warns, warns the young family with this young baby, hey, you've got, you've got to flee. You've got to run away. You've got to hide. You've got to become a refugee and go to Egypt so that you don't, the baby doesn't get killed. How do you finance a trip like that? I like to think that the part of this gold goes towards financing their refugee flight, if you like, to Egypt. Because how do you fund a trip like that? You go into a foreign land, you're, you're, you're there as a foreigner. How do you do that? And, it, and it's like God knew ahead of time and provided funds for this trip. It's just my thought. I mean, who knows? But gold, we don't have too much problems with. The next one is frankincense. I want to deal with them in order because that's the way they turn up. Gold, frankincense. Now, frankincense is, a, is an aromatic thing. It's a quite a, um, again, it's quite a precious uh, thing. It's, it's an extract from, from tree bark and all of this stuff. And, and, they, and they, they put it through some purification processes and you can, and you can burn it. You can, you can use it as incense to bring about a nice smell and aroma in an area. And that's part of the clue as to why they brought frankincense. I was doing some prison ministry once. Uh, in a maximum security prison for youth. You weren't in there for stealing cars and stuff like that. They were in there for, for serious violent crimes. Um, youth between the age of 12 and 19. Um, very, very serious crimes. And the man who was the prison chaplain who was doing the Sunday service, uh, one day we were there and he brought in some incense and he started to burn it. And uh, he walked down amongst the rows of the inmates there and, and was, was going like this over the incense and just wafting it towards them like this. And, and, and they're all sitting there just smelling this. Why? Because prisons smell a certain way. And if you're in a prison for years and years and years, that's the smell you're accustomed to. But when we went to this Sunday service and he burnt the incense, all of a sudden the atmosphere is totally changed. And there's an ambiance that changes then in the room as this, as this smell starts to permeate the whole of the inside of the room, inside the prison. And it changes. And when you open the doors and we left, the people that walked out carried that scent with them as they went back to their wings and to their cells. And you think, wow, what, what, an, what an incredible thought. So they bring this frankincense with them, this stuff that symbolizes a great fragrance. Now, now it doesn't take much imagination 
doesn't take much knowledge of what the Bible says for us to go all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, from Numbers 28 to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 15, all the way up to, to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, where it talks about our lives and our prayers and our offerings being given to God as a pleasing aroma and a pleasant smell that goes up to heaven and pleases God with its, with its aroma. This, this incense type of smell. Now, when, when we say that, we can often think of it in, in, in human terms. The, the, the pleasing aroma is like a nasal tickling for God. But it's not that. It's not a nasal tickling for God. It's not that heaven smells bad and he needs different incense. It's not that, but what it is, it's a reflection of something that's happened in the heart already. And that reflection of what's happened, that heart change comes out in an act of worship. And because of the heart change, that is a pleasing aroma to God. Because when we're offering things to God, we offer them because our heart tells us to do something, not out of a sense of duty. And that is what the pleasing aroma to God is all about. And I like to think that that's part of the reason why these, these wise men brought frankincense to symbolize the pleasing aroma that we give up into God in our acts of worship. It talks about it in Psalms as well. Our worship is a pleasing aroma to God. Now, now, we don't have any problems really with, with gold or with incense. Th those are two pretty good things to be, to be involved with and to, to, be, to, to be having and to be giving and, and receiving um, and to be offering up to God. Strange thing. When somebody gives a gift, <laughs> once you give it to somebody, hey, they can use it however they want. When God gives us his provision and God gives us the ability to worship, we can use that provision in any direction we want. I can, I can use the provision of God to serve myself. I can use the ability to worship to direct towards other things. I can end up uh, worshiping the, the created things instead of the creator that made them. I can, I can do all those things. With these gifts that are freely given, I can take them and use them in whatever way I want. And like I said, the gifts come with responsibility that we actually use them in the right direction. Now, the third gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I often mock myrrh just because of its name, myrrh. We don't really do much with myrrh now. We don't really have myrrh. Uh, it doesn't turn up very often, but it does turn up in the Bible. This is one of the more tricky ones. Well, not really tricky, but it's a different one to explain. You see, way back in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 30, it, it talks about separating people, putting people aside for a special purpose that God wants to use them for, to use them as priests. 
And to do that, what they would do is they'd do this ceremony where they would pour oil on them, they'd anoint them with oil. And how they made that oil was a very special bl blend of, of spices and perfumes. And one of the main ingredients of that, you guessed it, is oil of myrrh. Twelve and a half liquid pounds of pure myrrh. myrrh. Myrrh and aloes mixed together with all these different spices to make this incredibly fragrant oil that could only be used to pour on the heads of the priests and to dedicate the things that were set aside for use in the temple. And we think, wow, that's cool. I, I want to be, I want to be anointed as a priest and a king. And you often hear people talking about that all the time, especially in church circles, where people say, yeah, we are priests and kings to our God. We are, we are priests and kings, and we like the exalted sound of that title, that we are priests and kings. But that's not the title that Jesus actually relished and basked in. In fact, another Old Testament book called Isaiah talks about the servant king. And that is actually Jesus' self-assessment of, of his own personality. He came, he says in Matthew chapter uh, 20, he came to be a servant of others. A servant of others. Also in Mark 10, he says, I, I came not, not to be served, but to serve. And he says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, learn to become a servant. Now, I don't see many people running around saying, I want to be a servant of everybody. I see everybody running around saying, I want to be a priest and king. I often hear it said, hey, I'm, I'm God's prince. I'm God's princess. Uh, I wish more people would be servants because it seems to be that that was a title that Jesus enjoyed giving to himself. But myrrh doesn't just turn up in the anointing of priests and kings. Myrrh turns up in John chapter 19 and verse 38 39, where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the man that came to Jesus at night, the teacher of Israel, took Jesus' body down from the cross after the crucifixion and they wrapped him in spices to prepare him from, for burial. Guess what one of the main spices was? Myrrh. So it doesn't just symbolize servanthood and priesthood. It symbolizes a life sacrificed to the will of God. Wow. They brought to a newborn something that symbolized sacrifice and death. If you're going to go to a baby shower and take a gift, that would probably not be at the top of the list. That's why these are wise men. They gave this gift prophetically. Myrrh, a symbol of priesthood, 
and a symbol of sacrifice where Jesus gave his life for us. Because that is the whole meaning of his coming to this earth. He came to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. That's what he came to do, and that's what he did. What a savior, what a king, what a birth story. And in the middle of that birth story, these three wise men come and give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And with those gifts comes the responsibility of Jesus living his life. And when we receive the gifts that we receive from God, they come with the responsibility to return those gifts to the giver, who is God himself. Hey, bless you, and thank you for listening. I want to get in out of the cold. Um, but I love being outside talking about the Bible. It's just a great thing to do. But remember, please, the gifts that God has given us come with great responsibility. So I pray in Jesus' name that as we receive those gifts, that we return them to God and sacrifice to God what he asks us to give to him. In Jesus' name, be safe. In the beginning, God created the sun, moon, and stars, the animals, trees, and seas. And he made us his own. And he gave us a garden. And there was beauty and peace and life, but that wasn't enough. And so we sinned and we ate and we fell. And where there was once beauty and peace and life, there was now pain and chaos and death. We went from a garden to a grave. But God promised to bring us back back from the grave into the garden. Days, weeks, years, generations of waiting for the promise, the promise to come back to the garden. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, friend of sinners, man of sorrows, Lord of glory and light of the world, rejected, refused, condemned and crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb, forsaken and forgotten. But three days later, he stepped out of his grave and into a garden and the same will be true of all who trust Him. Where there is pain and chaos and death, there will be beauty and peace and life. Because Jesus is alive, so is hope, so is grace, so is salvation, so is transformation. Because Jesus is alive, we can step out of the grave and into the garden. You are here.
That is who you are 